Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Everybody, without exception, takes decisions today on the basis of what we consider to be important. I don't know if you saw the interview with Jack Grealish uh, after the second of Manchester City's triumphs in the FA Cup, and Grealish, Manchester City, England's attacking midfielder, triumphant after the match with Manchester United, I'm sorry if that causes some of you pain, announced, this is what I have been dreaming of all my life. And this is what I came to this club for. And Erling Haaland, just uh, um, a couple of minutes later, said the same thing. This is why I came to this club decisions taken in view of what they consider to be important. I guess Mr. Sheikh Mansour, for the cost of a cool 180 million between those two players alone, is saying the same thing, or at least I would imagine he's trying to persuade himself of that. It's true for everybody that we take decisions today on the basis of what we consider to be important. If you, know, if you want to get a first class degree at university, well, you give yourself to it. If you want to get 11 nines, then you Give yourself to it. Want to be on stage in the West End or have your name in the FT as a key business leader? Then you take decisions today. If you want to secure that relationship, you take decisions today. And everyone, even the sluggard, you know, even the waster, the couch potato, takes decisions today on the basis of what they consider to be important. 
lying on the couch and watching the telly. Well, today I, I want us to continue working on our mindset. That's what the Apostle Paul wants us to do. And uh, you can see that from chapter 3, verse 15, just across the page there, where he says, let those of us who are mature be like-minded. It's that word mind again. And Paul is wanting us to see that the mature Christian with the grown-up mind will take decisions today on the basis of what we think is truly valuable. I mean, in a sense, in a sense, and I hate... I hesitate to do this because I know some of us are in the throes of these things. It's a bit of a test today for us, um, kind of to show what we really think is important, how, how mature with all the young ones doing exams, probably just as well the, the adults doing exams as well, how mature is our mind really Christianly? Have we grown up? But well, we come to one of the most theologically dense sections in the whole of the New Testament, and justifiably we could spend four separate weeks on just the four verses we have before us, which form one sentence, and they contain perhaps the most surprising and revealing statement in all of Paul's writing. I mean, it will reveal things about us. They deserve very close study. We also come to one of the sentences most focused on the person and work of Jesus Christ and on a personal, intimate relationship with him, which is what lies at the very epicenter of the Christian faith. So the language of knowing in the Bible speaks not so much of intellectual acquisition of facts and figures, though it does include the intellect. It speaks of personal, intimate relationship with the God who made us. And just as we look again at verses 8 through 11, you can see again the intensity of the focus on Jesus Christ and his person. I, I want to know Christ Jesus, my Lord, says the apostle, for his sake I consider everything worthless. I've suffered the loss of all things. I, I want to be found in him, in Jesus. I, I want a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ Jesus, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, uh, that I may share his suffering, verse 10, that I may become like him. And verse 8 is absolutely key. It speaks of loss and gain. And so we come to this issue of what we consider to be valuable. Just glance at verse 8 there. Indeed, I consider everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And the word for loss is kind of the write-off word. It's actually used of ships when they go down in uh, first century writing, in Greek writing, of a cargo that plunges to the bottom of the sea, I like fishing. I'm not a sailor. I don't like the sea at all, really, except for fishing. And, you know, I have lost a number of things over the years. When, when you drop it, it's gone. A pair of Ray-Bans, a watch, a number of fishing, a mobile telephone. We had trouble with the St. Helens treasurer over that one. But you drop it, and it's gone. There it is. You're never going to see it again. And here is the Apostle Paul, but he hasn't actually accidentally let something slip. He's done the math, as they say, across the pond, 
And there are some things that he reckons as write-off compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In fact, if you look at the second half of verse 8, the second half of the sentence, he strengthens the language very considerably. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now, that, that word rubbish, it could be used of kind of the stuff you put out for, for, the, for the, um, uh, the compost, you know, uh, potato peelings, you know, the, the, uh, and so forth, offcuts. But more often it's used of excrement, dung, filth, manure, human waste. And so you see what the apostle is saying in that second half of the verse. He says, I consider all things to be rubbish, excrement, in order that I may gain Christ. Now, that's a big claim. Uh, We saw last week that the Apostle Paul has absolutely everything going for him. He had everything going for him by means of his birth. He kept born into the right family. By means of his early education, he had the right education. He came from the right country, from the right tribe. He'd been put through the right religious ritual ceremonies, and he achieved the right moral standard. He really had everything going for him, and he listed those things. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was the people of Israel. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, he was blameless. He was righteous. He was zealous. He had everything going for him. In addition to all the religious privilege and performance, we also have to remember that Paul was a Roman citizen in the Roman Empire. And that he'd been educated under the great and leading Jewish lawyer. He was in the top six law companies. And he was part of the leading establishment of the day. Right school, right college, right university, right degree, right law firm, right early career, right promotions. And then we read Paul saying, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them. Well, there's a rude word for it. I'm not going to use it as excrement. Now, we need to notice that Paul hasn't deliberately lost these things. He's no masochist. But he did lose them as a result of decisions he made. There was choice involved. And when faced with a choice between pursuit of that thing or laboring side by side for the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ, making Jesus known, he chose Jesus at every point because he'd done the math and he considered these things to be filth. Will I cling desperately to my citizenship, to my career, to my reputation? to my position in the company, to my exalted positions in first century society? Will I 
cling to all the things that the world considers dear. Why would I? Relative to knowing Jesus, filth. One person has said, Paul had a CV, a resume, to die for. He chose to die for Christ. You notice the phrase, knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, that's worth a whole Sunday afternoon on its own. Knowing and gaining and being found in are all in the present tense. It's not that he did not know Jesus or that his personal knowledge of Jesus and gaining Christ is in any doubt. It is that the whole of his Christian life is to be summed up by knowing Jesus, and he wants to know him and know him better because there's an an inexhaustible wealth of wonder and delight in knowing Jesus. Knowing Christ, God's King, Jesus, God's Savior, Lord, King of all, as my own. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, do you know, I've got all sorts of things I think precious, whether they are relationships or whether they are, you know, qualifications, you know, that degree or whatever, and that position in a law firm, whatever. I don't know what it, I haven't got a downer on lawyers. It's just Paul happened to be a lawyer. So we've got to um, count that there. But what makes Jesus so valuable? And Paul then lists in this incredibly dense theological passage, Three things, the position Jesus gives us, the power Jesus provides for us, and the prize Jesus has won for us. The position, the status. Verse 9, we spent the evening thinking about this already, the afternoon. I want to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, Righteousness is a position word. It's a status word that where, as Anne Aaron said earlier, God comes to see me as perfect and accepts me as unblemished. I'm his. He prizes and delights in me because he sees me as perfect, righteous. But the verse holds up two types of righteousness. You can see the righteousness of my own that comes from the law, i.e. something that I think I've achieved, a right status because of where I was born or how I grew up or what my parents did for me or how I've performed. And then there's a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ that is from God and that depends on faith, which is a righteous status that God provides and that comes to a person who trusts in Jesus as a result of the perfect life of obedience that Jesus lived and the sacrifice through his death on the cross where he carried God's judgment at all that we've done wrong and then offers to us, free of charge, the status of being right with God. Now, there's so much in verse 9. But you can see as we look at it again that what Paul is doing is comparing two types of righteousness. The righteousness of what you might call works religion, human effort to get into God's good books through what I do, righteousness according to the law, 
and the righteousness that comes from God. And Paul's point is that any person who trusts in Jesus benefits from the work of Jesus, which he gives to us as a gift. His perfect obedience, his sacrifice on the cross, his paying for my sin, his life lived out and his death died on my behalf. And any person who trusts in Jesus can benefit from this work as a gift from God. You'll notice it is to be found in him. Look down at the verse again. I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which comes from law. So like the baby in the womb, of which there seem to be a vast number ever expanding at the four o'clock, like the baby in the womb, benefits from everything that his or her mother does, so the person who trusts Jesus benefits from all the work of Jesus, like the fish in the sea, benefits from being within the bowl or the sea or whatever it happens to be, like the player in the squad, like the citizen in the kingdom, as a person is found in Jesus, so that benefits, person benefits from the blessings Jesus has achieved. And then look at the verse again, if you would. Verse 9, put, put your nose in it and count the number of times in verse 9 that Paul emphasized that it is a gift. I want to be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from law, but which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on Faith. So it comes on the basis of trust. It's not earned. It doesn't come by effort or merit or personal achievement or parental activity on my behalf. It, it comes by grace. It comes through the work of another. It's given by God. It's from God. It's in Christ. It's offered to all people who trust in the work of Jesus. I want to be found in him. And again, it's not that there's any doubt in Paul's mind that he will be found in Christ because it comes as a gift and he trusts Jesus. And so here we have two classes of asset, if you like, the kind of financial language. My achievement, my pedigree, my performance, my effort, my privilege. Christ's work, Christ's approval, Christ's death, Christ's resur resurrection. My CV? excrement, filth, the work of Jesus, surpassing value. Everyone, without exception, takes decisions today on the basis of what they consider to be valuable. Jack Grealish, whoever it happens to be, Erling Haaland, everybody takes decisions today on the basis of what we consider to be valuable. Now, there's one thing of ultimate value that I'd be found in him because of what he's achieved. And so says Paul, though he doesn't seek out the kind of costly decision, actually, it's a stupid thing to call it a cost, isn't it, really? Because it's incomparable. But though he doesn't seek out that costly decision, when it comes to a decision, am I going to follow Jesus? Am I going to cling on to whatever it is that's up on my wall in the office saying what a brilliant person I am? That's filth. I follow Jesus. 
This positional statement, the status, opens up the power statement in verse 10, the suffering. And verse 10, I think, is, well, possibly the most surprising verse in the whole of the New Testament. Paul speaks about the resurrection power of God, which brought Jesus Christ from the grave, being unleashed in the life of the believer, such that the apostle Paul and any Christian believer who follows Jesus is able to live a life of selfless sacrifice in the footsteps of Christ Jesus, my Lord. And let me say, if you find the statement surprising, as I do, the problem is with me, with you. It's our problem, because we don't know God well enough yet. So if you wouldn't mind doing a little bit of an exercise with me and covering over the last seven words of verse 10. Now, this is going to be tricky because it goes across two lines. And if you've got fingers like mine, which are like telegraph poles, it's not going to be easy. But put, most of you look very dainty. So whack a couple of fingers over the last seven words of verse 10. And now we're going to read it together. And you should stop when you get to the word his. We're allowed to read his, but not the next word. I know you know what that next word is, but let's pretend you don't, okay, for a second. Are we ready? Together. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his... Okay, now keep your fingers there. We don't want you to know cheating. How would you expect it to finish? I mean, think about the raw power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the raw power of God in the Lord Jesus that brought him from the dead. Have you ever seen a dead body? Many of us have. Have you ever longed by the coffin for that dead body to rise? Yeah, many of us have. Consider the raw power of God that brought Jesus alive from the tomb. It was a first in the history of the world. A couple of exceptions who never actually, uh, we're told, never actually died. But in terms of resurrection power to live then for eternity, never again. It's no exceptions, no exclusions, no exemptions. And for the first time in history, at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God exercised his power to raise this body from the grave, never ever to die again. You think it's a small thing? Give it a go. Head out to the East London Creme. Bodies come through at the rate of about one every 15 minutes. Have a try. And this resurrection power, according to the first half of this verse, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, has been poured into the Christian believer. Think of the Kharkov Dam that we were praying about earlier. You've seen the images of this water rushing in huge power. And here we have the resurrection of Jesus Christ poured into the Christian believer. To what end is that resurrection power deployed? How would you complete the verse? That I may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection that I may partner in Doesn't it just show how so many people, possibly us included, misunderstand the Christian faith? 
Oh, that I may live my best life now? That I might get wealth and health and promotion and that I may gain prestige in the workplace and really everybody will think I'm a wonderful person because I have the power of the resurrection in within me. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may partner in his suffering becoming like him in his death. Can I, can I ask a cheeky question, which I've asked myself several times? I've spent a lot of time meditating on this verse this week. William, do you actually want to know him and the power of his resurrection that you may partner in his suffering, becoming like him in his death? Does, do you find that quite a surprising thing for Paul to want? It's because you're immature in your thinking, William. You haven't learned to grow up. Remember what we discovered about God back in chapter 2, that given that Jesus was in the very nature of God, since he was, in very essence, God, he didn't consider his divine position something to be exploited to his own end, but what did he do? He made himself nothing and emptied himself into the form of a slave, becoming obedient to the point of death on the cross. So that the resurrection power of Jesus it floods into his people, surely inevitably is going to lead his people to live Christ-like lives. Wouldn't it be most weird if God has demonstrated him to be, in very essence, the God who is selfless and sacrificial and who pours himself out in love for his people if when that resurrection power flooded into you and me, suddenly it was altogether different. I'm going to live for myself. Would that not be weird? No, the resurrection power of Jesus, as it floods into his people, inevitably is going to lead his people to a life of selfless, sacrificial suffering. And this is stressed, once you see it, everywhere in the New Testament. No servant is greater than his master. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The very essence of the God who we love and serve is selfless, sacrificial service. That's what's going to make heaven so wonderful. He loves to serve us. That's what makes him so beautiful. That's why it's so glorious to follow Jesus. And now when the resurrection power of Jesus Christ floods into your life and mine, it floods its power into a life of selfless service. It's not that there was anything lacking in the suffering of Jesus on behalf of his people, but rather that we, with his resurrection power dwelling within, are now called to live our lives in godly, selfless service through his power to bring about the salvation of many, many other people as we labor side by side for the faith of the gospel. And all of us who are mature ought to think like this. Or are we still in key stage one at primary school? Everyone, without exception, takes decisions today on the basis of what we consider to be valuable. And what God considers to be valuable is a life of selfless sacrifice. We see Jesus. And the righteousness is in Jesus 
is more valuable than anything else because you're going to stand before God in judgment. And if he declares you righteous and to belong to him as part of his family, to be considered to be righteous, it's glorious. And now with this righteousness, his resurrection power flows into us and selfless sacrificial service. That's grown-up Christian thinking. And if we aren't quite there yet, then we need to do some remedial Actually, when you stop and think about it, is it not so much more valuable than the degree or the 11 nines or that place in the law firm or my personal comfort or a golf handicap cap of 11 or whatever tri- trivial trinket excrement that we might be pursuing? But Paul's not quite finished, and verse 11 contains the final major theological concept in this most densely packed of sentences. And once again, the verse is not intended to suggest that Paul's participation in the resurrection of the dead is in doubt. The by any means possible refers to the multiple different directions his life might take rather than to an uncertain scrabbling after a prize that is not already his. So look at verse 11 that I may by any means possible attain the resurrection from the dead. And I say it like that because the resurrection from the dead refers to the final day when Jesus returns and summons from the tombs all who have ever lived, some to judgment and condemnation for eternity, and some to be with the Lord Jesus for eternity. And Paul is saying, look, by any means possible, it may be that it'll be through my trial and execution. It may be through sudden death. I might have a heart attack or myself fall to the bottom of the sea in one of my travels. It could be that I reach it through Jesus's imminent return. But by any means possible, I'm longing to be with him at the resurrection from the dead. And so I want his righteousness. I must be found in him. I want his resurrection power. I'm going to give myself in selfless service of him, and I'm longing for the resurrection from the dead because that is the most valuable thing this world has to achieve. And so as we close, how mature are we? (laughs) How grown up are we? Here is the mature mindset. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as filth in order that I may gain Christ. That that gift to play the piano in a way that would make the angels want to sing. Oh, excrement. That acting and singing career that beckons with my name in life. Oh, oh, filth. That that sporting ability where, where I might lift the trophy. Dung. That academic achievement that I'm striving for. Manure. That career advancement, the new post I've been given, human waste. That relationship that I so 
long for compared to Jesus Christ. There's a word for it. It's rude. I'm not going to use it. The new car, the private education. One of my heroes, John Sung. He went, he was one of the first Chinese to go to America for his education. He was obviously selected from a field of millions, early 20th century. He got his degree first class in 18 months, asked to do a PhD. He did it in 18 months. In the course of that period, he became a Christian. Every Chinese sets great store by such evidence of Finnish scholarship. John was no exception. He had medals. He'd won the medal for the best student at his university. He'd got some other medal for, for his PhD in uh, academic research. And he knew that they were an open sesame to a career which would be as brilliant as it would be remunerative. He got onto the boat to head home, 1927. And as he approached the shores of his hometown in China, John Sung went down to his cabin, took out of his cabin trunk his diplomas, his medals, and his fraternity keys. And apart from one document to satisfy his parents that he had actually achieved something, he dropped the whole lot overboard. And he gave his life to speaking to people about Jesus. And he was used, well, there are probably not many Asians around who can't in one way or another trace back to the ministry of John Sung. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as done in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Let's pray together. We thank you for righteousness that is ours. We thank you, Father, for resurrection power that leads us into godly, selfless sacrifice. And we praise you for the resurrection from the dead when we will see Jesus face to face. We pray for that resurrection power to be at work in our lives, young and old, so that we live lives that are worthwhile. In Jesus' name, amen. We're thrilled to have a number of the 4 p.m. looking into Christian things or not quite sure where you stand or about things. So William, maybe one of these questions, looking back to the last few weeks, I think, how could you, so we've heard about the citizenship of heaven, that's to be a major idea in this letter. How could you help those of us who have doubts about heaven? I think look at the Lord Jesus, and I would say look at the Lord Jesus in the Gospels, and you will see a picture of heaven. Because the Lord Jesus, all the miracles and uh, all that he does in the Gospels is designed in part to show us a glimpse of what the, his new creation will be like. They're fulfillments of promises of God to roll back everything that spoils this world. Supremely, 
look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. And here is a fact on the page of history marked by clear, dull witness. Look at the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. If Jesus has risen from the grave, I mean, he promised he would. If I said, I'm going to, by the way, when I die, I'm going to rise, you'd be able to check it out, because most of you are about 30 years younger than me. So you'd be able to check it out when it comes along. Was he, was he, it was said that he would rise. His disciples witnessed it, and they gave evidence and testimony to it to the point of death. The evidence for Jesus rising from the grave is massive. Uh, so look at that. And all of these things, I think, begin to give... I mean, faith comes through hearing, and the more you look at these things, I think the more you will see they stand up. Uh, next question, really getting to the heart of, if you like, the logic of our passage. I'll maybe read it carefully. Why does Paul need to give up his CV and be found in Jesus if he has already been given a righteous status that can't be revoked? So if he's got the righteous status already... Why give up the CV and be found in Jesus? Thank you. Well, he's given the righteous statement status in Christ, but he's saying, look, I am going to trust that rather than go on trying to earn my way into God's good books, as it were. Um, so he is actually depicting two completely different ways of achieving righteousness. And he's saying, look, this way of trying to get right with God through, be, by, through being born into the right family, having the right religious ceremony, getting baptized, doing penance, and so forth. Actually, it just does not work. Um, and, and we looked at that last week. Um, God's standard is 100%, not 99%. If he let people, if his standard was 99%, he let people in on the basis of 99%, why shouldn't he let people in on the basis of 98%? Let people in on the basis of 98%, what about 50%? That God is absolutely just. And if you're going to achieve righteousness through the law, then you need a perfect righteousness. And Paul said, look, I tried that route. I did really well on it, but it's not good enough. And uh, it won't actually get you in. Whereas the righteousness that comes as a gift from God, well, that is what it's all about. And so I'm prepared to consider all of this. Now, did he have to give up you know, his Roman citizenship, that sort of citizenship. Well, I think the thing is that he didn't kind of, he's not a masochist, but at every point when he had a decision to take, he took the decision that would most glorify God and advance the gospel. And often that was at the, that was at the expense of promotion and preferment because the gospel was rejected and opposed by those around him. Um, and, and that may well be the case for, every, for us to take the kind of decisions that are going to be useful for the Lord Jesus will often mean us saying, well, I think will always mean us saying, what's really valuable? Three questions which I think are essentially the same. Do any other things then have any value? Should I work hard in my job? Is it still good to get good grades? <laughs> Great question. Yeah, that's what I mean about him not being a masochist. He doesn't just, doesn't just say, well, I'm going to chuck it all in and, you know. Um, but what he says is, I am going to give myself wholly to the Lord Jesus. So there are plenty of good things. You've got to work, and Paul tells us to work in 1 Thessalonians and in Ephesians. He says, he who shall not, does not work shall not eat. 
So there are plenty of good things to do, but when it comes to the push comes to shove, and I'm going to make a decision to glorify God and use my life wholly and absolutely for, for, for his, then I'm going to take the decision to do that over and against the other. So yes, we do need to um, you know, work and earn a living and that sort of thing, and it's not good to become dependent on the church and on the state. It's not a good state of affairs to do that. But when the decision comes between honoring the Lord Jesus and striving side by side for the faith of the gospel um, and pursuing this other thing, I will pursue working for the Lord Jesus with heart, mind, soul, and strength. You talk about making costly career decisions. Wouldn't it be better for us to work for strategic roles and jobs and places there where we can talk about Jesus? <laughs> well, who... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think being a, a haircutter is a very strategic place and job, and actually being a garbage collector is a very strategic place and job because you get to talk to people. So I suggest you work for those. Um, I, I, I think, sorry, I think that's a kind that kind of question. So who are you to say what's strategic? I, I mean, the New Testament says the most honourable thing you can do if you have the gifts is to be a Bible teaching church leader if you have the gifts. So yeah, absolutely, go and do it. Um, but don't you decide what you think is going to be strategic, because I think being a hairdresser, probably you have, uh, or a dentist, I mean, think of the opportunities a, a dentist has for the gospel, you know, um, the, the great opportunities, uh, and teachers and that sort of thing. But yeah, so find something that is going to enable you to maximize gospel opportunity and count that PhD, whatever it is, as garbage in comparison to whatever it is that's going to be able to you, enable you to maximize gospel opportunity. I can see Sam the dentist is smiling. But, um, a couple of questions which I think both are getting at the same thing. This seems very challenging and hard. I can see why it's worthwhile to make costly decisions. But how does that fit with Paul's emphasis on joy? It seems hard. Yeah, well, I, I think joy. that's because we don't get God because we're immature in our thinking. I don't think it is costly. I, I think that you get passages like this and they put the cost of following Jesus. Everything is costly. You know, the person who wants to be a sports person has to make costly decisions. And everybody has to make decisions about what they're going to focus on. It, I think it's just a kind of complete misunderstanding of life. If you want to do anything, you have to make decisions not to do other things. Um, but then it's a question of value. And if God has shown himself in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in his very essence, to be selfless, to value sacrificial service, and to um, treasure sacrificial service for the salvation of others, then my whole thinking, if I'm thinking, well, it's costly to be sacrificial servant, I just need to, I mean, I've been through this all week and the week before thinking, William, are you just much too worldly? Um, are you thinking like Jesus? And when you look at the Gospels, you see the disciples are always being brought up short on this. Who's going to be the greatest? I want to sit on your left and your right. They're so worldly like us. And we need to start thinking, okay, what have we learned in Philippians about God? Being in very nature God. Since he was in very nature God. 
Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be exploited to his own end. He made himself nothing. He emptied himself into the form of a slave. This is what God treasures and values. This is what he loves. This is actually what God is like. And so when his resurrection power is poured into me, the joy of being like him and serving his great goal, to call it a cost, you just sort of think, hang on, William, you haven't really grown up. That's why I think chapter 3, verse 15, all of us who are mature ought to think like this. And if we don't think like this, then we need some remedial work. Lots of questions. I think we're going to ask a couple of them. Um, worldly achievements, should we celebrate or value them at all? Should we literally throw our certificates in the bin? Yeah, well, thank you very much. No, I don't think we necessarily should. I mean, I've sort of slightly buried anything that I've got somewhere in a cupboard. Probably I ought to chuck it away and stop pretending. But um, <laughs> uh, should we value them? I mean, they're, they're fine. We live in the world. We're created beings. This creation is a wonderful place. There are good things. But really compared to the value of knowing Jesus, let's get them in perspective. I mean, <laughs> one of, I, can I tease you, Anarian, may no, I tease you? No, no. <laughs> one of my best fun activities is going around to Anarian's house and look, reading his PhD in pure maths, which is illegible. I mean, you ask, <laughs> ask him to show you, and, you know, it is just completely, completely unintelligible. And even, what's that piece that you write? The, uh, the abstract. The, even the abstract is in English. And you can't, you know, they're <laughs> like, you have four words and they're together and they're English, but they mean absolutely nothing to a normal person. Um, and we've got to just say, really, I mean, well done for getting a PhD. It's a great thing. <laughs> But compared to the surpassing worth, and praise the Lord that you're not wrapped up in Oxford educating undergraduates to do that sort of stuff. I mean, you know, given the gifts and the temperament of the person you are, what a waste. And that would just be excellent in comparison to the value of what you're doing. We've got to think in a godly way. And when you're next round, he won't show you. I don't know why you let me see it. You don't let anybody else see it, do you? I... He's sucking up to the boss, I think. Um, last question. <laughs> yes. Someone, well, and it, and it comes through in one and two of the others as well. This challenge is impossible. How can we even begin to do Yeah, this? I think we go back, you know, there is a righteousness that's to be found in Christ. And I, I mean, actually, I think it's very encouraging. Again, obviously, you know, we get the, I get the privilege of looking at this, but it's very encouraging. We're told to take up our cross in the Gospels. The power of his resurrection dwells within us to enable us to do that. We're told to, uh, to resist sin. That's part of, you know, valuing Christ. Well, actually, the resurrection power within us enables us. So I think for us tonight to get on our knees before we go to bed and say to the Lord, Lord, please indwell me by your power, by your Holy Spirit, to see actually worldly things as excrement compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Now, who knows, who knows what might happen and how one's life might be used. I mean, can you think? I mean, imagine John Singer. He would never have imagined that as he dropped the medals overboard. Hundreds and thousands of men and women came to know Jesus through his ministry.